Welcome to the BBSI Entrepreneurs Podcast, the show where we talk about the challenges business owners face every day. We'll share the insights and tools you need to define your business strategy, better manage your teams, and mitigate any risks standing in the way of your success. I'm your host, Lauren Gelfand, Director of Marketing and Communications at BBSI. Thanks for joining us today. In this episode, we're excited to welcome two guests, Tucker Smith, our BBSI North Carolina Area Manager, and Jack Nix, VP of Operations for Shelby Erectors. Tucker's been working with the Steel Erectors Association of America for a while now. And when we discussed this episode, he recommended we bring in Jack to help us dive in to the topic of safety and general behavioral safety awareness. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us. Very excited to talk to you both about safety today. I'm excited to introduce Jack as well. Jack lives and breathes construction. He's been working in the industry since 1985. And in that time, Jack sat on the board of the Steel Directors Association for eight years and is currently the membership chair and the president-elect for the next two-year term. Jack is NCCER certified, a craft instructor, a curriculum performance evaluator, an assessment performance evaluator, and an assessment coordinator. He has knowledge verified training and is also a reinforcing iron and rebar worker. Jack, that's quite a mouthful of uh, credentials. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background in your own words? Yeah, this just goes to show you how old I'm getting. Uh, I remember when I thought I was one of the young guys in the management stream of this uh, construction industry. But yeah, so I'm a, you know, I'm a, a rod buster at heart. That's what I, you know, I, I, I came up with the trades and I'm a trademan at heart. Spent about 10, 12 years in the field, worked uh, for my father, got my father's business and uh, and went into a superintendent role, met, uh, scheduling and managing different jobs and then kind of worked my way into an office role where I started running operations for his company and then, uh, you know, was with him for 25 years. And then my wife and I started Shelby Erectors and uh, actually she started Shelby Erectors and I helped her get that going and then... When she started getting really busy, I transitioned and went to work for my wife. So that's what I do now, Chief Operations Officer over there. All right. That's fantastic. Thanks for that. Tucker, how about yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background as the area manager of our North Carolina branch. Uh, so been with uh, BBSI for about six years now. Um, I come from a management consulting background. Um, and in the interest of full disclosure, when I first got to BBSI, I really didn't know what workers' comp and, uh, and, and loss control was all about. Uh, but once I realized the importance of it and the types of businesses that we work with, I became a student really quickly. And uh, it's, it's been, a, been an interesting journey. Well, all right. So Tucker recently penned an article uh, for the Steel Directors Association on the talk, topic of behavioral safety awareness. And he started that article out with an interesting phrase. And it just says, don't be an idiot. <laughs> well, simple and direct, this doesn't necessarily serve the employees any real information on how to maintain safety while working. So, Tucker, tell us a little bit about why you chose to start your article out like that. Well, it came, it came from an actual conversation that I had with uh, the owner of a company. And this was early on in my journey of understanding workplace safety. I had mostly come from a white collar type of roles, uh, and now I was in, in this specialized trade manufacturing. And I learned the importance of having a safety manual and doing safety trainings and those types of things. So I, was, I came in as kind of a student on it and almost in a classical book sense of a student. And I remember sitting across from that guy and you know, I said, so, so how do you prevent injuries? And that was his exact response was don't be an idiot. Because he did not have a safety manual. He did not have trainings. He did not have all the things that I learned 
were important to having a safe workplace. And he says, no, I, was, I just tell them, don't be an idiot. And I trust that they do the right thing. Right. And it did, it caught me. It like really, it, it threw me for a loop. And I says, is that really how you can do it? And on one hand, I was like, that's remarkably simple. But on the other hand, it's like, I know that that's not appropriate. I know that in some cases it's not even legal. Right. Um, but it just, it, it is. And to this day, and that was six years ago to this day, it's informed all of my conversations with business owners. Right. And it's remarkable how many I meet that still have that as their primary MO, right? That I just, just don't be an idiot. They're not going to read anything I give them. I just want to not be an idiot, right? So it, it has become kind of a theme as I speak with a lot of these business owners and their teams about how to keep workers safe. Jack, what do you think about that? You've been in the trade for over 30 years, and I'm sure you've seen all manner of uh, safety infractions on there, but you've probably also seen your number of safety manuals out there. So What's your general approach to, to safety on the job site? Yeah, so, I mean, it's funny because, I, I mean, the, the reality is there's some truth in uh, don't be an idiot. But, um, you know, I, I've seen all the devolutions. Uh, when I first got into, um, you know, this stuff, we didn't have a safety manual. It was basically you did what the guy in front of you did. And, you know, they told you what to do and what not to do. <clears throat> but there wasn't really any manual um, at that time, you know, written for a company that I worked for and it was my father's company. And then I remember, you know, we got to the point where they said, all right, you, you really need to have a safety program. And we had a manual and I helped develop that and, and get one of those put together. And, but just because you have a manual doesn't make you safer. So, I mean, you, you quickly realize, uh, okay, well, that's good. We got a written document that we can, we can look to, but uh, unless people are doing what's in that document, that doesn't really make you safer. So, you know, you got to figure out then from getting the written page to to how to implement that and how to uh, create really a safety culture. And that's what all this is about is creating a culture within your organizations that where safety is a priority and then how you're going to implement that, how you're going to message that out. And the first step is getting that safety manual written. Right, getting that manual written and then and then following that up is, is how do you get them, how do you get your teams to actually care about it? I imagine probably everybody that works in the industry has seen an injury occur. Many probably have been part of an injury themselves. How do you get them to care about it? How do you get them to change their behaviors to make sure they're thinking about that in their daily operations? So in, in my experience is getting the man, the ownership and the management to fully buy into the importance of it. If you're not on a work site that's obviously optically dangerous every minute of every day, or you're not facing a lot of injuries, it kind of becomes less important workplace safety because you just assume, right? There's this expression that we sometimes use, are you lucky or are you good that you're not having injuries? And more often than not, we find that it's they're being they're lucky, that they don't really have the the policies, programs, and more importantly, oversight in place to make sure that that it is a safe workplace, right? And that, that's one of the things that really has impressed me about Jack and his operation because it is optically a very dangerous role, but they're really safe, right? They have outstanding safety records, not only because they're doing the right training, but they're actually doing the right work, right? They're doing the right oversight. They're having the right engaged conversations with the employees. And that's the difference, right? Going from a paper a document, um, something that tells them what to do to actually helping them feel what to do. So Jack, from your perspective, what are the things you're doing with your teams? You've got the manual there. How are you getting that communicated down to their level? Weekly safety meetings, checklists, how do you approach that? 
Yeah, so, you know, we have a weekly toolbox talk on Monday morning and, you know, we've, uh, Shelby Rectors is a completely uh, paperless company, have been for about five years now. So all of our safety meetings or toolbox talks are delivered virtually. And so it's a nice setup where people can watch it. Uh, they can do it before they get to work, but certainly once they get to work on Monday morning, it has to be done. It's easy for us to track. We went to that system too, because we want a consistency of messaging, right? So when you have toolbox talks and you have your foreman, you know, doing that day's toolbox talk or that topic, I mean, you get some variety, but you don't know what that, what message is being get out there unless you're there. So we have one message going out to everybody. Uh, it's a video done by our, our safety officers and our safety manager, and that's delivered on Monday morning. In addition to that, about five years ago, we implemented pre-task meetings that take place every day before you start a new task. So uh, typically you outline, they know what they're gonna be working on that day. They go through their pre-task meeting. It identifies all the hazards and, and the steps to take to prevent those. Uh, anything special going on in the day. And that's been pretty powerful. It, it gets a little redundant for the guys that have been there forever, but they got to remember that you have new guys coming into your crew. So it's important to make sure these are done every day because you've got new guys coming in and they don't know what you know. Tucker hit it on the head. If you don't have management and leadership, an ownership buy-in in the safety program, and really pushing it and talking about it all the time. And when things happen, making sure they take the right measures, you know, that's when your safety program really takes off is when you have the management that says, yep, these are the rules and this is what it is. And there's no exceptions, no excuses. This is how we're going to do things. And that's what we've been consistently doing for the last, you know, 10 years now. Jack, was there a moment, if we go way back, you said your dad started the company. So I imagine you've been doing this long before your official career started helping out. Was there a moment that you realized that this is inherently dangerous and I really need to be focused and aware and make sure all those guys around me are also focused and aware of what's going on? Uh, yeah, I mean, we do rebar and structural steel and metal deck and primarily in the bridge industry. And it's all dangerous. I mean, it's been dangerous since day one. Let me give you an example. So when I first started in the industry and I was 18 years old, coming out of high school, had no experience. When we first started working, there was no body harnesses. Uh, matter of fact, we were working wearing leather tool belts and you know they would be sweaty and stuff and you put a wall hook on that and you would hang off of the side of a building. I don't know, you know I was working on a 30 story project down in uh, Miami and we were hanging off the 15th floor on the outside edge, you know, and uh, off of a leather belt with a wall hook. And that's what we did. You get complacent, you get comfortable. We would walk beams, there was no, there was no tying off. We didn't tie off. I've walked beams for years. I mean, most of my career without having to be tied off because that's not what you did back then. And then all of a sudden, you know, now it's it's a completely different ball game. When I got into the upper leadership part, you know, you start recognizing, yep, this is a dangerous industry. And that was the excuse. Well, you know, it's a dangerous industry, but we can we can make this a safe industry. We can do this work safely if you use the right tools and use go through the right measures. Uh, and you know, there's no reason for people to get injured. Typically, what I find is, you know, most injuries are human error where they've made a mistake, didn't follow the policy. That's why you've got to get people to buy into it because that's the reality. Is is most injuries happen because somebody made a mistake. So after that injury occurs and you're on the site, 
um, God forbid that does happen. What What's the follow-up? What's the recourse after that with the crew to make sure that that doesn't happen again? Yeah. So, you know, we have our safety manager and our, and our, the foreman, whoever's involved, you know, whoever was overseeing that operation get together, they go through a safety, uh, you know, incident report. They identify the root cause without pointing fingers, you know, just trying to identify how did this happen? Why did it happen? What contributed to it? Were there contributing factors? And then retrain the entire crew and the employees that got injured. And then we also have superintendent safety meeting once a month. And then we go over all of our incidents and talk about what happened and, and, and what we what we found the cause, root cause was and discuss how those things can be prevented so that, you know, we try to learn for every incident that happens. Those are outstanding, you know, that root cause analysis is critical. But what we also know, and Jack can speak to this probably just as well as I can, is that most injuries are preventable. So where the root cause analysis is a really important step, in some cases it's required, right? OSHA might ask you to do it. It's, it's the what's preventable, right? And the whole idea behind the behavioral safety is we want to create a culture of confidence, awareness, and belief, right? That it's not just I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do it right. It's like I want to make sure the guy or the gal next to me is not going to get hurt because I can I see that they're not doing it the right way. So that that's that idea of, of, of getting the management involved where it says, look, it's okay if something goes wrong. We, let's talk about it, right? Let's try to prevent it from happening before it happens. The, the concept of, of let me know, it's okay if the bookshelf falls, just let me know when it's halfway falling, right? So we can, so we can get it back up together. And what we find so often is that these, these cultures, the, the, the workers are afraid of saying something because they think they're going to get in trouble or it's going to slow them down or something like that. And the idea behind behavioral safety is, no, we won't raise your hand. Let's talk about it. Let's stop work right now until we solve what's, what the problem is, what the risk is. Sometimes it's five minutes. Sometimes it's a half a day because it should be a half a day because there's um, really bad scaffolding. Somebody noticed that something was missing on the scaffolding and they said something, right? That's the creating that, that safe culture and, and, again, the confidence to say something and not get in trouble for it. So, Tucker, you talk about the do it system in the article, define, observe, intervene, and test. Can you, can you talk to me about how, how that works? Sure. So, yeah, ideally what you do is you're not the owner of the business, but somebody that you've indoctrinated to kind of be a purveyor of safety. Right. So it, it is a little bit of a system, um, but it, we, we find that if you run a system, it's easier to, to understand. It's easier to communicate. Right. So you start with a definition. Right. So list out those areas that are potential risks. It doesn't have to be a, a long list. Right. But it should be certain. It should be specific. And then you're able to take those and, and group them into specific categories. So this one might be on the ground risk. This one might be in the air risk, the different areas that you have. Right. And then what you want to do is you want to start to observe it. See, how are we doing against that? That's the the O in the do it. Um, define and observe is the O. So this becomes really a coaching opportunity. So you start to see what's the risky behavior and what are, what are we doing to, to prevent it? How are they doing it? This guy is doing really well. This guy's not, right? It's a coaching opportunity. And then where things go really off the rail, you got to do the intervene, which is the I in the do it, right? So... If you're seeing that consistently doing something wrong, you've coached them and they're not listening, they do the same mistake a week later um, or God forbid the next day, right, that you're able to intervene, right? And that's when you really sit them down and you have a detailed conversation with them. 
right? Where they, they, again, and Jack mentioned this earlier, is that you're not you're not a fault for it, but I want to make sure you really understand. You're not listening as closely as I, as you should, so I want you to really understand it, right? The final one is the test, right? So after I've done the the defining, I've done the observing, I've done the intervening, is it working? That's something that takes, it's not going to be done in a day, right? It's you're going to have to recircle back around in six months. Jack used the, the word complacent, right? They all kind of know what to do, but you got to be able to circle back around on things that were taught and, and conveyed. How often, Jack, do you see needing, oh, you, you mentioned before, needing to circle back regularly for those guys that have been there for a while. For the newer guys, do they seem generally to pick it up pretty quick and get in the routine of of the regular meetings the monday morning meetings reading the articles before they get there yeah i mean because it for us it's not even optional you know we have a hundred percent you know uh, compliance on our toolbox talks and things like that but i want to talk a little bit more to what one of the things that we've done that i think has been an outstanding as far as getting people to really recognize, you know, you talk safety to people, your safety officer talk it and they live it. And then we talk it to our superintendents and then you talk it to the foreman. But here's, you know, here's what we started doing. Prior to this, we had our safety officer, safety director would do the safety inspections and the audits. And that's what we call our safety audits, right? So I think about two years ago, we started mandating that every superintendent has to do turn in one safety audit per month on a different job each time, okay? Um, and to really start getting them to open their eyes, looking for the same hazards that your safety guys are doing. And it's amazing what happens when all of a sudden they're doing these audits and they're looking at the job site through that lens and, and they have to verify it through pictures and stuff like that. Anything that's a hazard that's open needs to be closed. So, you know, and it, it might not necessarily be, we're a subcontractor. So sometimes it's what the contractor's doing uh, that's ex- putting us at, at an exposure within the last two years. Then we started doing it at the foreman level. And what's happening when you're doing that is you're getting these guys to really buy in and really start looking at it through a safety lens, right? The, the audit takes 30 minutes to an hour. And, and so every foreman then has to do a safety audit um, once a month. And we track that. We make sure that they get them done. Um, there's accountability if they don't get it done. That move alone has helped us a lot in, in changing our culture because now you're putting them in the safety guy's shoes, right? You're saying, hey, we need you to go through and look at this and audit the job and see where the safety violations are. And when we first rolled it out, you know, we would do it, they would do it in conjunction with a safety officer. Now they're doing them on their own and it's been a really good program. Um, and I think that helps getting them to buy in because I don't think that people go to work and say, oh, I'm not going to follow the rules. I'm not so sure that they always understand the rules and interpret them, even though you've explained it to them. They may not have gotten it from that discussion. Right. So when you make them put on the safety eyes, uh, I think that makes a big difference. It takes away from doing it because it's easier to do it some way or, well, that's the way we always did it. Well, that way may not have been safe. And you're actually making them think about it. Uh, before they. I, I agree. It's probably not intentional that they're doing it to be unsafe, but they're doing it to be quick or to hit a deadline or to go, you know, make it easier on, on their general day. And that's when those accidents happen. Yeah. And I, and I love that idea of ownership, right? It's not any one person's job to keep everybody safe on the, on, on the job site. It's everybody's job, right? And I love that idea that Jack is using where he, he moves the football around. Right. So they, it increases everybody's awareness as a result. Are you seeing that, Tucker, in other industries around? Do you see that that similar approach that folks are taking? Yeah. Yeah, we are. And, and I think 
it, it, what's so funny is it relates oftentimes to the timing of an injury. <laughs> so you can profess a lot of things and until they feel it, they don't pay attention. So we kind of have two groups of clients in, in that sense. The first one is I'll do it when I got a problem or I hear what you're saying. I want to do it now. Right. And those places where we are encouraging multiple owners of safety, we're seeing a higher level of awareness and fewer accidents. Right. Those that had a had a bad accident and they're so, OK, no, 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 now we'll do it. We'll do it now. We're seeing that, that it oftentimes they repeat because they're not really bought in. They're thinking more reactively than proactively. So you mentioned before, Tucker, about not only getting people home safety, but about the cost of these accidents. And I know that this is a big piece that relates to to their workers' comp premiums, that relates to the X mod of, of incidents happening. So can you tell me a little bit about, I mean, we, we think of the injury from a cost standpoint. We want to make sure everybody comes home safe, but we also think about the cost of the business. So tell me about those, those injury costs of the business, maybe some things that people don't even think about. Well, yeah, so th there's direct costs and then there's indirect cost, right? So so the direct costs obviously are things like medical bills, lost time wages if they can't work, the, the case management. So it, we have to pay for um, third-party administrators um, to help manage a claim. Um, and then there's, if, if necessary, there's if there's any permanent disability, there's going to be a payout there, right? So th those are some of those direct costs, right? But what, what oftentimes they don't think about because they don't see it on a loss run are the indirect costs. When you lose a worker, if, if it's whether it's a week or a month or God forbid a year, right, you have to replace that worker, right? Which means I've, I've got to bring somebody else in. I got to kind of start from scratch. This is a new person. They don't know the rules. They don't know how we do things around here, right? That puts stress and pain on, on, the, on the manager, on the foreman, right? It's like, God, I got to train somebody else this week. There's that an, an additional expense around that. But really what, where we see the, the, the biggest impact is in the morale of the employees, right? They, if they, especially if they see their coworker get hurt. It has a physical and obviously a physical result, but a mental impact, right? And production sometimes goes slower. They might not lose hours on a clock, but productivity goes down because they saw what happened. So well, oftentimes what we find is, is owners really focus on the loss runs. Well, that was a $50,000 claim. But in reality, it's usually two, three, four times that cost if you think about the, the, the entire expense and the tax that you place on, on the business for the, the injured worker. That's a lot of, a lot of costs that, that maybe a lot of owners don't think about you know, when they're thinking about cutting costs. Hopefully safety is not one of those things and they're still investing in that because there are a lot of those indirect costs that you don't think about that can really harm a business when you start to have injuries. And if you don't have that culture of safety built, you really get into a dangerous territory. So... Jack, what would you say to business owners out there listening that that maybe think that they want to get deeper into safety, they want to focus a little bit more, but they're just they're just not doing it yet? Yeah, I mean that's um, that's a good question. You know, if you're getting into this construction industry, you know, you need to realize that safety. We say it all the time; it needs to be number one, and it really does need to be number one because you know I'm a labor contractor. And my second largest cost other than my direct labor is insurance, you know, my insurance program. So I've always been very involved in that program. And I encourage anybody that's a business owner, make sure you know what's going on with your insurance program. You know, you have, we talked about it, you have your direct costs from the claims, you know what your claims is, but what about that modifier? What about, you know, consent to rate? What happens then when you start having to pay extra for your, your insurance program because you don't have a good safety culture? So when you really look at your business, you know, that's not the place to cut. You said it. It's, it's, it's one of the places where you can really save money if you run a really good tight program. 
smaller companies, you know, it's tough. It's tough when you're a small company. You only got 20 employees. And I remember being in those days, you know, you can't afford full-time safety manager, right? So now you're relying on, you know, your foreman to be the safety guy because that's the guy in charge of the crew, right? And and that's the way it's done. And it's done a lot. So programs like what BBSI offers gives you the ability to really get a top-notch safety program. And that's you know, just talking about what's available to you and looking at what the other options are out there because it's tough. Or getting involved with organizations that'll help you, you know, provide safety information to you. Uh, I belong to SIA, SEAL Director Association of America, and we offer all kinds of safety stuff, uh, programs, advice and stuff for no additional costs in our in our organization. Get around people that, you know, are in your organization. So you know, it's it's something to keep in mind when you're out there and you're running a business and you're just getting started. You got a small business and, you know, you know what the right thing to do is, but how do you do it? Right. Well, you need to reach out. There's places where you can go and you can get help and people assist you with those needed programs. I love it. Well, Tucker, what would you say to those business owners out there that, that are thinking about starting a safety program, but they just just haven't focused on it yet? When I first, when I got to BBSI, I, I first learned what an experienced modifier rating was. And working in Southern California, the vast majority of the owners hated it. They really they they thought that it was a stupid number, that the algorithm was dumb, that the majority of this isn't my fault. This is the employee's fault, or this is fraud. And when it came to respect, was the EMR actually, in a lot of ways, is a direct reflection on how you run your business from a safety standpoint, especially. So the bigger the number, the worse you're doing on running on the safety side. The better the number, the better you're doing, right? So when I talk to business owners, especially those that have maybe a 1.0, you know, which is normal, or maybe even a credit mod is like, I go back to that idea of you wanna be good, not lucky, right? And, and embrace the EMR, right? Don't run away from it. Say, look, Jack mentioned it, the cost of the insurance is, is important, right? So the, the better the better you are, the, the more predictable you are from a, from a safety standpoint, the lower the cost of your insurance is. So don't run away from the EMR. Don't, don't be mad at it. Like embrace it. Like understand how it works. If I want to be good versus lucky, what do I need to do? It's as easy done as it is said is what I'm trying to say. It just takes that discipline. I sit, I sit across from so many business owners who say, well, that guy was an idiot and it was, it's all fraud. And I ask him a simple question. Well, who hired him and how did you train him? And rarely do you get a good answer. They always just want to place the blame on the employee. And the reality is if I hired well, if I, if I did background checks, right, or I checked his references, and then once he got onto the job site, I trained him well. And if he wasn't paying attention, I got rid of him, right, quickly, right? You're, 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 you've changed the likelihood, likely outcome of, of that employee's performance, right? Whether you're a new employee, or sorry, a new owner, or one that's had a business for 20 years, it's, it's that same concept, right? Embrace it and understand the importance of it because there is a direct and an indirect value to it. And that's, you know, one of the things that I, I was so impressed with, with the, the Steel Erectors Association of America and why we, we've done the, the partnership with them that we have is, is that this is really the forefront, right? They put safety first. Right. And in my conversations with Jack and they've spanned, you know, more than you know, a few years now and in, in multiple geographies. And it's, it's always consistent. Right. You need to have the material available, but you got to train it really, really well. 
and you know and see is big into things like the mentorship program and and you know and they don't they don't put anybody on a job site who's not qualified to be there and then they look after them that's important too is embracing those those simple ideas but then being accountable to it well i thank you guys both for uh, sharing all your insights with us today it's tremendous to think about this up front as you're building your business, as you're growing your business, as you're hiring employees, that it is an investment in your future, right? Focusing on safety, building that culture, as Jack mentioned before, and evolving with the times. I mean, changing regulations are gonna change, and a lot of them are intended to keep those employees safe, make sure they're going home safely at night to their families. And sometimes they may be difficult to implement, uh, they may cost something, but at the end of the day, we want everybody to go home, and we want businesses to be successful, and so I think Focusing on that as you're growing is going to ultimately lead to prosperity in your business. I want to extend a huge thank you both to, to Jack and to Tucker for joining us today. Jack, especially for talking about your experiences on the job site uh, for all those years. Uh, we really appreciate it. So for all our listeners, thanks for listening to the episode. If you're looking for more resources to support your business, you can visit our website at bbsi.com. And you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, the BBSI Insider. We'd also love it if you'd subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss out on the latest insights from our BBSI business professionals. Thanks, guys.